parenting, it's the hardest job we'll ever do. Most of us are tired, stressed, and counting the minutes until bedtime. But what if raising kids could feel just a little lighter? I'm Dr. Hillary, a licensed psychologist and mama of three, and you're listening to the Raised Resilient Podcast, where each week we tackle tough parenting topics, and I help decode behavior and empower you with tools and strategies so that even the hardest moments make more sense. Because parenting is hard, no matter how you do it. But I can help you go from barely surviving to parenting in a way that feels good for you and your child. So warm up your coffee and grab your earbuds. It's time to raise resilient kids. Hello, and welcome back to Raised Resilient. I'm your host, Dr. Hillary, and thank you so much for being here. In today's episode, I want to talk about responding to fears of the dark and other typical toddler, preschool, and big kids sleep issues. We talked a lot last week about baby sleep and a little bit about toddler sleep, but I hear from so many parents that they just don't know what to do when their kids are scared at night. How do you respond to that? How do you make them feel safe? And what are maybe some things that we're doing that might be making things worse even though we have the best of intentions. So that's what I want to cover in today's episode. And what an appropriate day to be recording this episode because I got about four hours of sleep last night after being up with my two-year-old. She is not yet experiencing fears of the dark and I'm going to get into when those typically develop and why. But one thing I've learned is that when children turn about 18 months until they're about four, but really especially in that like one and a half to two, three range, the quality of their nighttime sleep is going to be so dependent on their schedule. And what I mean by that is that, you know, when kids are around 18 months, they typically, if they haven't already are moving to one nap and over time, the length of that nap typically shortens because they need less sleep as they grow. And for a lot of us, we don't want to shorten that nap. We want to hold on to it. And we certainly don't want to wake up a sleeping toddler. Who wants to wake up your kid when you're in the middle of getting something done? You finally have some peace and quiet, right? But I have learned that if I, for example, let my two-year-old nap any longer than an hour, she will wake up at night. So I have to ask myself, what do I really want to do? Record another podcast episode or sleep tonight? And so last night was actually the opposite. It wasn't too much day sleep. It was not enough. So she had her hour nap, but we went out to dinner as a family and we got back a little bit late. And then by the time I laid her down, it was about 30 minutes later than I typically lay her down. And she had a little bit of trouble falling asleep because she was overtired. And that led to what I so lovingly call the middle of the night toddler party. So she woke up around 3.30. We nursed. I took her to use the potty like we always do. And usually if she wakes up, I lay her back down. She goes right back to sleep. No crying, no fussing, just a bye-bye mama. But what can happen when our kids' schedules are off is that they can actually build up a higher amount of cortisol when they wake up in the night. And that's their body trying to compensate for not quite having had enough sleep. And so then it makes it really hard for them to get back to sleep. And this even can happen for adults, right? Think about if you've ever gotten a second wind because you stayed up so late. That's really just your body releasing some cortisol saying, all right, hey, we're going to try to keep you awake. I get it. You're staying up later than usual. Here's a little extra energy. But for our kids and for us, that works against sleep. So all that to say that I was up for multiple hours in the middle of the night tonight, and I'm going to try to be coherent. 
But I also just wanted to point that out in case you have a toddler and you're struggling with these middle of the night wake-ups, check out the schedule. Your toddler might be ready for a shorter nap. Your toddler might need to go to bed a little earlier or a little later, right? So you can kind of play around with that. But that's where I'm at today. And I hope you are a little better rested than I am. I will wish you all good sleep. And hopefully after listening to today's episode, you'll be able to get even better sleep. So I'm going to start this episode off with a mindset shift as I often do on this podcast. And before I share my sleep specific mindset shift, I just wanted to remind you that I have a free resource for you. If you are struggling right now with parenting, if you feel like you just really need to get your head in the right place, you feel like you're constantly frustrated with your child, feeling like you're failing, you need this free guide. It's called six mindset shifts to ditch the overwhelm and parent in a way that feels good. And it is literally based on the mindset shifts that I had to make to get from a place of constant overwhelm and frustration in my parenting to a place where I genuinely feel good about how I'm parenting, even on the hard days. And I want that for you too. So grab your copy today, totally free, raiseresilient.com forward slash mindset. So here's the mindset shift that you need when it comes to toddler, preschooler, and big kid sleep. We often feel like we're doing something wrong if our child is struggling with sleep. We feel like we're missing something, that we are somehow messing this up, or that something is wrong with our kid because they are not just laying down, saying goodnight, and going to sleep. So here's the mindset shift. I want you to stop worrying what's wrong with you, what's wrong with your kid, because there's nothing wrong with you and there's nothing wrong with your child. Sleep is really complex. Sleep is actually really tough for our kids. It makes so much sense that they're not just laying down and saying goodnight and falling asleep immediately. There are so many things that get in the way of that. And what I need you to hear is that sleep is the longest period of separation that we have from our kids all day long. We are constantly separating and reuniting all day long, even if that's just when we run to the bathroom, right? If we stay home with our kids, or maybe they're going to daycare or they're going to preschool or they're going to school. And yet sleep is the longest separation that we ask of them. We're kind of saying, okay, go stay in your room for 10, 12 hours and I'll see you in the morning. And that means that sleep is inherently complicated for our kids because they need to find a way to feel really connected to us, to hold on to that sense of connection to us, even when we're not in the room with them, and to feel safe in the dark with all the shadows and their room looking different than what they experienced during the daytime. I remember back when I worked in residential treatment. One of the clinical supervisors said to the staff one day after we had put the kids to bed, he was like, you know, I am just really impressed that these kids feel safe enough to go to sleep every night with everything that these kids had been through, because these kids had serious trauma histories, abuse, neglect. They were separated from their primary caregivers, and yet somehow they felt safe enough to fall asleep each night. And he was just noticing how powerful it was that we had created enough of a safe space in the therapeutic milieu that these kids could put their heads on their pillows at night and go to sleep. His observation really stayed with me. It really hit me when he said that. The weight that our kids feel when they are falling asleep, especially if they are falling asleep in the dark alone. That's a big deal for kids. So if your child is struggling with sleep, if y'all are having a hard time, you're not alone. And it makes so much sense. And... 
there are some things you can do that are going to make this a little easier and that are going to help your child feel safe and connected enough to fall asleep. Now, I also just want to contrast this need for connection, this need for safety with what parents are experiencing at bedtime. Because what are we experiencing? We are done. We are ready to turn off our brains. We are ready to disengage from that active, constantly being on that parenting requires of us. We're ready to go watch a show. We're ready to go spend time with our partners. We're ready to maybe go finish up some work or do something that we enjoy. Maybe we're going to go meet up with a friend. We are done. We don't want to continue parenting. There's not a time in the day when most of us are more done than we are at bedtime. And yet, that's when our kids need to connect with us most. What a conundrum, right? That's a really big energy clash. And I think we just need to acknowledge that because when we acknowledge that we can plan for it and we can show up a little bit differently if we're aware of sort of why things can feel so stressful at bedtime. So I want to talk in this episode about several common struggles that come up with our toddlers, our preschoolers, and our bigger kids when it comes to sleep. And the first one is just what I've been talking about, which is that our kids need to feel connected to us. If bedtime is stressful, if we are constantly fighting with them to brush their teeth, get in the bath, get your jammies on, do this quickly, or we're not going to have time for a story. If there is constant stressful, frazzled energy throughout the bedtime routine, our kids are not going to be ready to say goodnight and let us just go about our business. They need to end the night feeling really connected to us. They need to feel like they've shared their feelings with us. They need to feel like we have been confident leaders for them, not that we're frustrated and angry with them and kind of over it and ready to just be done. That's not what our kids need to feel from us. Even if we're feeling that inside, that's not what our kids need to feel from us. That doesn't feel good. Remember that our kids need to feel our delight in them, especially when they're struggling. Our kids need to know that they are in our good graces, that we love them, that we think the world of them. They need to feel close to us because they depend on us, quite literally, for their survival. And so if we leave their rooms in a frustrated, frazzled way, they are not going to feel safe enough in most cases to drift off to sleep. And this is where you might find a child constantly coming out of their rooms, trying to check in with you, asking for one more story, one more glass of water, one more this, one more that, right? Now, of course, that's not the only reason a child might be doing that. Of course, these are ways that our kids try to re-engage us because they don't feel ready for us to leave their rooms. And that could happen for a number of reasons. But one major reason this happens is that frustrated, frazzled energy that we can sometimes bring to the bedtime routine. So when you are helping your child through the bedtime routine, think confident leadership. You can go back and listen to my episode on shepherding through, which is how we kind of use our energy and confident momentum to help our kids through things when they are stuck. And bedtime's a great example. I actually talk a lot about the bedtime routine in that episode. That episode kind of has the how-tos of how to navigate these stuck moments at bedtime without bringing that frustrated energy. And of course, if you need a break, take a break. It is always okay to say, I love you and I need a break. I'll be right back as soon as I calm my body. And then when you do come back, come back ready to connect. That's key. You've got to find a way to get your nervous system back into a regulated state so that when you do come back, you are ready to connect. 
And then we also need to think about bridging the gap, the overnight gap where our child doesn't have us right there with them. How do we help our child hold on to those good feelings that they have knowing that we are near when we're not right there with them? Here are a few ways you might do that. One is to participate together in bedtime rituals. Having a bedtime routine where you do the same things every night can be really soothing to a child's nervous system because they know what to expect. And you can do these activities like reading stories with them in a way that is connected. So you might make eye contact with your child while you're reading the bedtime story. You might give them some hugs or engage in some playful physical play. Like I know last night with my boys, I was putting them up on my feet and we were playing airplane, which is a game we've played since they were tiny. And they were just laughing their heads off. And it was such a lovely way to physically connect before bedtime. My husband reads stories with the boys every night. They read chapter books together. And I know that for them is a wonderful connecting ritual. They sit together, they sit on his lap on a beanbag chair, and they just read books. And they love that. They look forward to that every single day. With my two-year-old, I have a couple of different rituals that I do. So we read stories, but then when it's time to leave her room, something I've started doing recently that she loves is that I pick up her stuffed animals that are in her crib and I pretend that they're whispering to me about her. So I say things like, oh, oh yeah, you love her too? Oh my gosh, isn't she the best? Oh, I have so much fun with her. Oh, you want to snuggle with her tonight? Oh, let me ask her if that's okay. And then I'll ask her, I'll say, bunny wants to snuggle with you. Can bunny snuggle with you tonight? And then she'll take the bunny and she'll hug the bunny and rinse repeat with her different stuffed animals. Another thing that I will do is I will talk to her through our video monitor. So I'm able to push a button and talk to her through the monitor. And so I'll tell her as I'm leaving her room, I'll say, okay, I'm going to talk to you through the camera now. And so I'll go in the other room and I'll push the button and I'll say, hi, I see you safe and cozy in your bed. Mommy is near even when she's not right here, which is a line that I borrowed from Llama Llama Red Pajama, in case anybody knows that story. And then I'll say the words that I've been saying to her ever since she was a baby and first started sleeping by herself in her crib. I say, have a safe, healthy, and restorative sleep. I love you so much and I'll see you in the morning. And most of the time when she has had the right amount of sleep and has the right amount of sleep pressure, and I'm going to get into what sleep pressure is in a minute, but when her schedule has been appropriate, she literally just lays down. It's like hearing that makes her feel safe enough to lay her head down and she goes right to sleep. Not a single tear, not a single bit of pushback. She will sometimes talk to herself a little bit, but she lays right down as soon as I say those words. It's like that's her cue to know, okay, I'm safe. Mama's got me, even though she's not right here with me. Sometimes with my eight-year-old, I will climb up into his loft bed after he's read books with his dad, and we'll just talk a little bit, five, 10 minutes talking about the day. And that is what he needs to feel that connection that he can hold on to over the night. And then having something to do for older kids that is quiet, that is low stimulation, no screens, no backlighting can be really helpful. So I love a good old-fashioned flashlight and a book. My two-year-old's not there yet, but usually for my kids, once they've gotten to be about three, four, they love a flashlight and a book. And so they'll take their flashlight, and if they're too young to read, they'll look at the pictures. And then, of course, my eight-year-old, and now even my five-year-old, they're reading the books to themselves. And that's a wonderful way to get sleepy and ready for actual sleep. Because that's the other thing about bedtime. 
it's bedtime, not necessarily sleep time. And of course, we want to put our kids down as close to when their body is ready to fall asleep as possible, but they might need 15, 20 minutes to wind down. Some kids need even longer, and that's okay, as long as they are staying in their bed and doing something that is quiet and low stimulation. That's wonderful. So let's talk a little bit about sleep pressure, because this is kind of what I was talking about in the beginning when I was talking about my daughter's schedule. This is such a common issue, especially with preschoolers. They go to preschool They're required to take a nap, even if their body doesn't need it anymore. And I get why preschools do it, because they need that consistency in the schedule. And some kids do still need naps at that point in time. Not my kids. My kids have both so far dropped their naps by before they turn three. But I know some kids do still need that nap at that point in time. So if your child doesn't need a nap anymore, but they're going to preschool and they're in such a sleep-inducing environment that it's very hard not to fall asleep, especially when the expectation is to fall asleep. The teachers are telling you it's nap time. Kids will often take a nap even if their body doesn't need it anymore. And then I hear from parents who are saying, oh my gosh, my kid's up till 10, 11. What am I doing wrong? Nothing. You're not doing anything wrong. And you're also in a tough position because unless you can work with your child's school to get them to stop napping, or you can switch to half day if you have that flexibility. But if you can't do that, you're kind of stuck and that is really hard. But what I would say to you is make your child's bedtime a little bit later because kids can get anxious if we put them down and they don't have enough sleep pressure, right? We say, go lay in your bed and their body is not tired. That can make kids really anxious and it gives their imagination lots of time to run wild and they can get stuck in a loop of anxiety and fear because they're sitting there knowing, I don't feel sleepy. I have all this energy, but I'm expected to fall asleep. And that's another time that we can get kids popping out of their rooms constantly. So as hard as this is, remember that it is a season but you might want to move your child's bedtime a little later. And you can play around with that and see, you know, do you want to make bedtime nine o'clock? Push it to 9.30 if that's still too early. I know that might feel really late, but the reality is your child is getting more daytime sleep than they need. And until they go to kindergarten and don't have that nap built in during the day, you're going to have to just kind of work with that unless you have, like I said, the other options I mentioned. But of course, that's good news for those of you who are in charge of your child's schedule. You can drop that nap and put them to bed earlier. If they're staying up until 10, 11 at night, that is a sign they might be ready to drop that nap. So just throwing that out there because sleep pressure is a really important piece of the puzzle that I think a lot of us don't necessarily think about. We just think kids need to go to bed at seven. Well, if your child's taking a two hour nap in the middle of the day and they don't need it anymore, seven becomes nine, right? Okay. So you've helped your child feel connected to you. Hopefully you've brought a calming, confident energy to bedtime. You've made sure that sleep pressure is adequate and that your child's not overtired, right? So when your child first drops their nap, they might need to go to bed as early as five or six o'clock at night. And I know that might feel wild to you, but your child might be overtired as well. So just play around with that schedule. But let's say you've got the schedule optimized. You're laying your child down for bed around when their body's ready to fall asleep and your child is now verbalizing fears of the dark. So fears of the dark typically develop around age three or four 
And the reason for that is because your child's imagination is developing. Their brain is developing such that they can imagine things with more depth and with more reality than they've ever been able to before. This is a wonderful thing. And this is when you're going to start to see pretend play really take center stage when your child is playing. You're going to see your child start to take on different characters and make little figurines talk to each other. And that is awesome. Age three to four, the preschool years, that's such a fun age, largely because of this imagination. This is where we also might start to see lies. I saw a huge purple elephant on the playground today. This is your child playing around with the line between fantasy and reality because they can now. That's a beautiful thing. But also, it leaves space for your child to develop fears of the dark. So how do we respond to these fears in a way that's actually helpful? Well, I'm going to start with what not to do. And I know this is the instinct for a lot of us, and you're not a bad parent if you've done this. It's normal to want to make your child feel better, and you know that these things that they're imagining aren't real. So what you might want to say is, there's nothing to be afraid of here. Your room is totally safe, and vampires aren't even real, so just go to sleep, okay? That's what we want to say. We want to reassure and sort of tell our kids why it's not rational to be afraid of the things they're afraid of. But here's what we actually do when we say that. What we actually do is send the message to our child that we don't believe them, and now they're just alone with the fear that they are feeling in their body. That fear is real, even if the thing they're worried about is not, and you have to allow space for it. And you have to do that while also communicating to your child that even when they are scared, they are still safe. And that can be a tricky balance to achieve. So here's how I actually navigated this when my now five-year-old was about four. So I remember going into his room one night and he told me that he was scared. He didn't want to go to sleep by himself because he was scared. And so the first thing I did was validate. I said, I get that. It can feel so scary to be alone in our rooms at night, especially in the dark. And then I shared a story of sameness. It said, I remember feeling exactly that way when I was little. Starting with validation of how hard it is to feel alone and scared in the dark and letting your child know that you get it and you've been there because most of us can remember feeling that as kids. That is so powerful. That says to your child, you are not alone with these feelings. You are not alone. I'm here to hold space for them with you. So that's the first thing I did. And then the second thing I did was to invite him to tell me more about what he was feeling. So he told me that the dark felt scary and that he didn't feel like he could go to sleep in the dark. And so I validated that. And I said, yeah, the dark can feel scary. And do you know why that is? And he said, no, why? And I said, well, because during the day, we can see all of our toys. We can see the familiar pictures on our walls. We know that our room is our room with our stuff. But in the dark, we can't see all of our things as well. Even with a nightlight, there are shadows. And so a part of us might know that our regular things are there and that this is our safe room. But another part of us, our imagination, might start to create ideas about what could be lurking in the dark behind the closet door. And he was like, yes, exactly. I can't see all of my things. And so my mind is making up things that might be there. And I said, I really get that. And that's a really wonderful thing. You have such a wonderful imagination. But at night, it kind of 
works against you sometimes because you don't want to be thinking about these scary things. And here's your brain coming up with all of these things that feel scary that could be behind your closet door. So I found that out, that really the dark was what he was feeling afraid of just by asking him, do you want to tell me more about it? So when you are feeling stuck in these moments, first validate, it's okay to feel scared and it's hard to feel scared. And I used to feel scared. I get that, right? Help your child feel less alone and then invite them to tell you more. See what they share about their fears. We don't want to assume that we know exactly what they're afraid of, right? So the next thing I did was to sort of feel into these fears and get more specific with him. So I asked him, I said, okay, so what is it that your imagination is telling you might be behind the closet door? And he said, my imagination's telling me that there's a werewolf. And I didn't go right into, okay, well, werewolves aren't real. And so you don't need to be afraid of that. I said, what's the werewolf look like? And he told me, he described the werewolf. And I said, what's the werewolf doing? And he said, he's working in an underground lab. I said, okay, tell me about the underground lab, right? So we just really explored his fears together. And so we did this for a while. And after listening and letting him really describe what was in his imagination, I said, okay, let's do an experiment. I said, let's see if this werewolf with the underground lab is really what's behind your closet. Let's turn the light on and open up your closet and let's see. So we opened up the door and I said, oh, nope, just your toys. And he laughed. And so we did this for a while. We did this with the bathroom door. We did this with the bedroom door. We did this looking into his toy bins and in different little nooks and crannies in his room. And as we were doing this, he started to take ownership of the process. He started to suggest places that we could turn on the lights and look, right? And so he started to feel a little more in control. And so I said, wow, your imagination is telling you all of these elaborate stories. What a cool imagination, but these aren't really here, are they? And he was like, no, just my silly imagination telling me stories. And so I said to him, that's right. And so your imagination might make up all of these things that feel really scary, but you are safe in your room and in your home, even when you feel scared. And so that little game we played, turning the lights on and back off, was a way for him to start to experience that feeling of, oh, I am safe, even when I feel scared. Now, that didn't make the fear go away. And that wasn't what I expected to happen. But I could tell that he felt safer. And I asked him, I said, are you ready to try to sleep? And he said, yes. And I said, I'm going to tell you where I'm going to be. And this is really important. If you're not going to be with your child as they fall asleep, let them know where you're going to be. I'm going to be downstairs on the couch reading a book. I'm going to be taking a bath in my room. I'm going to be talking with your dad. I'm going to be talking with your mom, right? So just letting them know where you're going to be and that you're still going to be thinking of them and that you're still there to help if they need you and that they can always call for you. That was all he needed to be able to lay his head down and go to sleep that night. Now my boys are five and eight and they usually have sleepovers together in my eight-year-old's loft bed. So there's a lot less fear when they're together. And if you have that option and you feel like your kids can handle it and they're willing, that's a great thing to try. And another thing that I have had success with before is coming back and checking on my child every five minutes. So this works great if you have a child who's constantly getting out of their bed to come and find you. You can let them know, I will be checking on you. You don't have to find me. I'm going to keep coming back and checking on you every five minutes. And you might even need to do it a little more frequently than that in the beginning for some kids. But if you let them know, 
I will be coming back to check on you every five minutes. So you don't need to come and find me because I will be coming back to find you and then stick to that. Actually come back every five minutes. And when you come back, it doesn't need to turn into a conversation. Let your child know you're going to say the same words, maybe a mantra, right? Like I was saying to my daughter, mommy is near even when she's not right here. Something like that. You are safe, right? You are safe in your room and mommy is just downstairs. Whatever it is, repeating some words that your child might then even begin to say to themselves in between your check-ins is a really powerful thing. You're helping your child tolerate separation with a known check-in time. They know that you're going to be coming back for them. And what I have found when I've done this with my kids is that three or four checks and they're usually asleep because their body can finally relax knowing that I will be coming back or their dad will be coming back at specified intervals. So that is another thing to try if you have a child who's constantly getting out of their bed. So I know we covered a lot in this episode. I hope it was helpful and I want you to hear that if sleep is really hard with your child right now, just hang in there. Usually it is a phase, it will pass, and hopefully some of the strategies I shared in this episode will be helpful to you and your family. As always, thank you so much for listening. And until next time, we've got this. I so appreciate you listening and being here. It really means the world to me. And if you are enjoying this podcast, leave a review and share with someone who could use this message. I really and truly believe that this is how we change the world. We spread the word about raising resilient kids, about being cycle breakers. So share this podcast, leave a review, and let's spread the word about raising resilient kids. Until next time, we've got this.